Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this edition of Peak to Pit. I'm Allie Peak alongside TJ Pittinger, and real football starts this week because the SEC is back, baby. Finally, the whole, well, I guess the Big Ten and Pac-12, but like all the football that people care about is is back now. Um, the ACC is finally getting into some good games. The Big 12 is getting into some good games. The SEC is back. And so it definitely is feeling more and more like a, like a real slate of college games. A, a lot of the spreads in the first two weeks of, of, of ACC and Big 12 have been super high. Um, and so we're getting some better ACC games, some better Big 12 games. Um, not a lot of great, great, great uh, SEC games, a lot of high spreads there, but there will be some good ones. And then, you know, you'll still take it, you know, about a week or two from now, it'll it'll be cranked up 100% everywhere. So, I'm excited. I, we're coming over to watch it on Saturday and bring in cake pops and cigarettes and everything else um, <laughs> for the kids. And I'm, I'm excited for it. Uh, hey, listen, I am so excited. I am normally not a fan of noon games, but I'm pretty excited to be, you know, the first game of the SEC slate. Um, it's a whole new era in, uh, in Oxford, well, we, we, which is interesting too. We know you like say? being first. We know you like being first, so that uh, that is very fitting. I do. I do like being first. <laughs> um, you're not first, you're last, right? Uh, this right. is Florida's first true road opener since 1987. Um, Florida loves to open up the season at home. They generally do. Um, they did play Michigan as an opener a couple of years ago, but it was at a, a neutral site game, so they don't consider that. Um, our road game. So yeah, first one since 1987. That was against Miami, and they lost. So that's pretty. This one was a little better. That's pretty crazy um, to not have. I mean, to not have any. Oh, I mean, that's my entire life, right? I mean, I remember the Michigan game a few years ago. That one didn't didn't turn out super super well. I, I expect this yeah. one will will go better. Um, okay. But that's crazy to do no road openers. And I know the SEC, I mean, you know, the SEC schedule is tough. You always have Florida state at the end. So it makes it tough as well, but like for it to never have come up or happened. Well, that's um, because Florida always starts with two easy 
teams. I mean, and there always has for the last, you know, 30 plus 30 years. years. Um, so, I, I mean, it's just, it's their tradition. It's what they do. They get two little warm up games. Again, they did play Michigan a couple of years ago in Dallas. I think they got a $6 million paycheck to do that. So they figured that was worth the uh, <laughs> forfeiting of the home opener, but uh, it was not considered a road game. So, and Florida hasn't even played in Oxford since 2007. The way that the um, SEC does their cross divisional rotation, you have your your team that you play and your that's cross division rival, and then the other ones all rotate. And it's been a long, long time. Uh, Florida yeah. did win that game, but um, they were in the swamp. I want to say 2015. Maybe it was 2015, guess. yeah, because it was the okay. Will Grow year. It was the same okay. year we played you guys in the swamp, yeah. 15. Um, okay, blowout. I was at I was at Clemson Notre Dame during that and watching the score. I had no service. Thirty-eight, um, ten. Yeah, yeah. And we were yeah. watching the score. We got into the into Death Valley a little early for the game, um, and I was watching the score kind of just on the side of the jumbotron, and it just kept going up for Florida. And I'm like. They've got to be. They must have mixed them up because you. Right. Ole Miss was like a favorite, or or maybe maybe like a three point dog, but like really hyped that year. They had a great yeah. offense with uh, Kelly and I. And Florida hadn't looked like that since you know oh eight. You know, <laughs> like Florida had not looked that good in years. And so we literally were saying uh, they they must just be mixing that up. Like it's got to be. Ole Miss's offense that's going right. off like that. And right. we really had no clue. And then they finally cut, cut to it and showed a highlight or two. And the score was after we were all like, holy crap. Um, and then obviously got, got home later that night and, and what or not home, but back to the hotel and, and watch some highlights and stuff. But um, yeah, that one, that was a ton of fun. I want to ask you before we go in on and get into the game with the, the, you know, you talked about, you know, it had been so, so many years since Florida opened up with a true road game. And obviously, they didn't even have the plan to do it this year. It just kind of the pandemic made it happen. Yeah. Do you expect Florida to change up from that? Just from what you've seen over the last few years with the Miami and Orlando, uh, Michigan and Dallas, do you, do you think um, that as that becomes more normal in college football, that Florida will start maybe not true road games, but like home and homes or not home and home, neutral uh, sites, stuff like that? I don't think they'll do home and homes to open the, the season. Like, I don't think they'll travel to somebody else's stadium. I think that as the trend continues um, to have big neutral site games as your opener, Florida will be more than happy to sign up for that big payday. With Miami, it got moved, so it was the only game that weekend. It was week zero. I think that's great for recruiting. Um, it just puts the spotlight so bright on your team. Um, so I think UF would definitely do that. I don't think, and I mean, obviously I could be wrong, but I don't think they would have any interest in just diving into the meat of their schedule, going to somebody else's stadium to start, to start the season. Well, so they like they've got, well, they do have a couple of things scheduled, right? Like they have the Utah scheduled in 2022 and 2023. I mean, are you thinking that's like a week two then? Cause obviously week three, you, you start to get into your schedule. Or if it is an easy game, you know, I mean, well, easy I mean, game, right? Like those, those contracts say and how they've worded it. But I, I honestly, I think that they will avoid that as long as they can. I think it'll be interesting to see because I honestly think um, COVID is going to change scheduling going forward. I would not be surprised if we see the SEC add a conference game or two um, after this. I think we're going to find that people really like it. I think that, and if you play the schedule, like we have a 10 game, 
you know, schedule this year, if you, that still gives you the option for two out of conference games in a normal year, right? So Florida keeps Florida state and they could have a rotating, you know, sisters of the wind or, you know, maybe a good team, um, jump in there. But I, I honestly think that that may be something the conference as a whole moves towards. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. We've talked about all the things like in just regular day life that are going to change because of um, COVID. So it'll be interesting to see how sports change and how scheduling changes and, and just whatever else. Um, so Florida does have it. So we'll jump into it. Florida does have a, a game this week, right? So finally the SEC is back. No, I Florida, keep like, like checking Twitter, like waiting for the shoe to drop. Okay. Now we've got four days. Can we make it to three days without like, I just, I need no bad news to happen so that this game really takes place. Um, and you know, we can watch some actual good football. Yeah, no. I, so Florida comes in as a 14 and a half point favorite. We have our, um, picks a little bit later, but noon kickoff, um, Lane Kiffin, how excited have you, has he put out any, I've been crazy busy this week. Has he put out any good sound bites? Has he said anything? Um, Is there anything up in Florida's? Anything up in Florida's locker room is bulletin board material from him yet? Um, not that I have seen, um, and I feel like I would have seen it if he has said anything. But you know, I, Dan Mullen and Lane Kiffin both have really fun, playful personalities, and so it won't surprise me if we do hear some interesting sound bites um, before the start of the game. I think that they, um, I. Lane Kiffin is good for college football. And I think that Dan Mullen is good for college football, both of them in a way. And, and I'm not comparing them to this person that I'm about to say in terms of what they've accomplished yet. But I, I think they both kind of have a little bit of Steve Spurrier snark in them. And I fully appreciate that. I think it makes college football more fun. Um, so I, I haven't heard anything. I'll be surprised if we – I won't be surprised if we do. I also won't be surprised, you know, if we see – some kind of trick plays, some kind of goofiness, some kind of something out of Lane Kiffin, because that's very much on brand for him. So I've got a question. I'm a big numbers guy, and so I need you to make up some numbers that don't mean anything for me. Um, if you had to, and if I'm leaving anything out here, let me know. But kind of if I'm a, if I'm a Florida fan or if I'm going to this game, there's three things that worry me, right? The first is a noon kick. Um, the second is the fact that it's a road game, you know, and road games in the SEC are tough. Uh, any conference road games are, are tough, right? Um, you've seen Oklahoma going in struggle with Kansas. So, um, road games are tough in conference. And then third is just what you mentioned, Lane Kiffin with, uh, with trick plays or, you know, trying to catch you off guard. So, you know, if you assigned a, a percent of worry, not that you're necessarily super, super worried about any of these things. Right. I know you're going to pick Florida and pick Florida to cover the spread later on in the show. But if you had to assign it like a percent of worry, how do those three things rank in your mind? So, uh, the, the most worrisome to me is the noon kick. I don't think that Florida historically plays well with the noon kick. I don't know if it's that we're just, our players aren't awake yet. I don't know if it's that fans aren't generally awake at that point. So the stadium doesn't have any influence on them or, you know, whatever. Um, I, it's going to be 11 a.m. No, it's like 11 a.m. their time. So hopefully they all go to bed like they're still in the Eastern time zone, right? Um, because otherwise it's 
it's 11 a.m. for them. Uh, that's the most worrisome. And that's that would be a worry for me every year. I just don't like noon games. I, I just I don't think they're great for Florida. Um, Lane Kiffin. Um, so wait, it's Lane Kiffin calling trick plays. And then what was the third? Yeah, Lane Kiffin like scheming and yeah, calling and trick plays. I think, he's, I think he's a good guy. Just the fact that it's a road game in okay. the SEC. Um, road game, I guess, would be my least concern because there's no fans. So or I guess they're going to have like, you know, a few. But there's really – I don't think that there's going to be enough for there to be any home field advantage. Um, definitely not in the Grove. The Grove is known for its great tailgating atmosphere, its idyllic um, buildings and things like that. It's not known for being this like – loud, insane, crazy stadium to play in, even when it's packed and it's not going to be packed. So that's my, I'm 0% concerned about it being a road game. Middle of the road for me, which still very little concern would be Lane Kiffin calling some kind of trick plays or doing something a little crazy. I think that may win him a game or two against a Kentucky or Tennessee or, you know, something along those lines. I don't, I think that Florida is too good this year for a trick play to be the difference in the outcome between these two teams. Yeah, you can only do so. I kind of agree with you. You can only have so many trick plays, right? It's going like to have to be a close game already for a trick play to make right. a difference. Yeah. So if you, if Florida has let Ole Miss hang around and Ole Miss fakes a punt or fakes a field goal or has a wide receiver pass or something like that, and that ends up beating Florida, that's not really what beat Florida. Florida should have. If Florida's up like the spread says they should be, 10 to 14 points, um, one trick play doesn't matter, right? Now, three does, you know, if they get an onside kickback and they kick a field goal or, you know, do a fit, you know, so, but to convert on three trick plays or three kind of gimmicks, you don't typically see that happen in college football. So yeah, not a lot of concern there. I agree with you on the road thing. That's a very, uh, very, very um, kind of, I guess, crappy slash underrated slash, man, this kind of stinks aspect of college football this year that like, there's really no home home advantage. I think that kind of, you know, it probably washes out well for most teams. Um, It's probably half your games on the road and half uh, at home. So, I mean, it is, obviously it's going to be a rush or a wash, excuse me. Well, I think for some teams, it's not as much of a wash. I think teams that had a teams that have a, a, a uh, harder home schedule than a road schedule. It's right. it's good, yeah. you know, like, so like Florida, this would have been a good year for Florida to go to Baton Rouge, right? right? It, it's yeah. kind of my thinking, right? Like right. this would have yeah. been, this is a good year. I mean, Florida state's going to get killed either way, but in theory, I'm good glad that Florida state's right. Not, good, but, year to go, good year to go to the swamp, good year to go to Clemson, good year, you know, whatever. So, so I think it, you know, Florida didn't have, doesn't have a lot of, what I would say are tough, tough road games. And so it's kind of a watch for them. That is so swayed by the emotion of the stands. Now that, that game is always 50, 50 split directly down the middle. One of the coolest things about that game is that you can, you literally can see the line in the stadium of red and black and orange and blue. But even though it's exactly 50, 50, in my opinion, that's one of the games that is most fueled by the crowd. Because you, I, I don't know how many you've ever been to, but that is whoever is up is up. The other side is dead quiet, and so that's gonna that's gonna suck this year. That that is gonna have no influence on on what's going on at the field at all. Because that's a scenario where I really do feel like the crowd makes a difference. 
Yeah. And then the last one we mentioned, I do think there's a, I mean, I will say it's minimal compared to the actual crowd. Like you said, there is a little bit of an advantage when you're going from the Eastern to Central time zone, not massive, but like you said, it is an hour difference of, you know, your, your body kind of wakes up normally at a, at a certain time. So that's kind of a, an interesting one. Although I don't know how many players are getting sleep at all on Friday right. night before, <laughs> before this season kicks off. So maybe that just impacts everybody to the same. And then the travel, I mean, you know, the, the travel I think is very minimal compared to. Yeah. It's the minimal the way the teams but- in the SEC uh, travel. It may, there are some conferences where it make, may make a huge difference. If you've got a 10 hour bus ride or something like that, that could definitely play a role. These SEC teams are chartering planes. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, and then the third one, like you said, the, what did we have? Oh, the noon kick. Yeah. Again, I, maybe again, the, the actual 11 kick, maybe Florida comes out sleepwalking a little bit, but even if they do, I mean, I would expect concerning I, to me that that one is the biggest of the three. I would expect even if Florida does come out sleepwalking, like they wake up by halftime and still win by 10. So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't really foresee that being an issue. What do you expect out of um, Kyle Trask and Dan Mullen? And I asked this to the to the Florida State guys before our first game against Georgia Tech, and it, it didn't end up being the case. But I think Dan Mullen does a great job of putting his quarterbacks in position to not make mistakes. And what I mean by that is I don't think Kyle – I don't think Kyle Trask – what was his touchdown interception, like 27-6 to six or something last year? Like I, I don't have it right in front of me, but it was really, really good. And then Felipe's was really, really good before that. And I don't think that those quarterbacks are just like all-world quarterbacks that really should even have that good of a, a touchdown um, interception ratio. I think that Dan Mullen – and they're good. Like don't get me wrong. They're SEC caliber. You know, I'm not trying to crap on them. But I think a lot of that is attributed to Dan Mullen putting them in the best position, making the reads easy. He's an excellent offensive game day coach, and I think he gets a ton of credit for that. And if it keeps happening with quarterback after quarterback after quarterback, like obviously he's well, and, and, to correct. There's some, there is a coaching that's going in there. You think about Alex Smith. You think about Dak Prescott, Tim Tebow. I mean, he he does he Cam Newton for a little bit. Um, he. He is a great quarterback coach. I do. I think he puts his quarterbacks in a position to have success. Um, I think that Kyle Trask worked really hard this offseason. He slimmed down. He worked on his footwork. Supposedly he um, you know, is ready to go. I think the thing that I will be watching the most, though, in terms of all of that, is actually the offensive line. Um, Florida's offensive line has been garbage for the last 10 years, right? This is not – I mean – Every once in a while, maybe there was a year where they were okay as opposed to complete trash. But in general, Florida has had a god-awful offensive line, maybe even longer than 10 years, maybe closer to 13 years, a long, long time. Um, Last year, they finished 80th nationally in yards per rush, which is garbage. Um, They finished 12th in the SEC in quarterback pressures allowed. It happened on almost 40% of all the snaps that Trash took. 41st nationally in sack percentage. Uh, the year before, they were second in the SEC and fifth in na- and fifth nationally in those two categories. So that that's that's not good. That and so I'm going to be looking for Florida's offensive line to be way better. They need their pass protection to be a lot better, which I think was better than their run uh, game last year. But that's still not saying uh, you know a, a whole lot. But 
when Dan Mullen came and spoke to the Gator Club a couple years ago, he we had just won 10 wins, he were 10 games. And he got up and he said, um, you know, there is a really big difference between 10 wins and 11 wins. And there's an even bigger gap between 11 wins and 12 wins. And it always stood out to me because he truly believed it was way easier to go from four wins to 10 wins than it was going to be to go from 10 wins to 11 wins. And both of those would be easier than going 11 to 12. And I think that he's right. And now Florida's in the position where they have to make that jump from 11 to 12 for this season to be seen as an improvement. Um, I think that a lot of that hinges on the offensive line. If their play hasn't greatly improved, there's a 0% chance they can take that next step. Yeah. And it's such a weird year to, um, to judge that, right? Like Florida is going to be a favorite in every game they play except for the cocktail party. And that one's to be determined. Like Georgia won't be a, right. a massive right. favorite even if they are. And, and if Georgia loses a couple and Florida's undefeated, maybe Florida is the favorite there. I don't know. But Florida's going to be a favorite again in every game they play this year. And so part of it is, you know, I almost think that with this weird year that we're having, you almost have to – this season's certainly not a wash. Like it it means a lot. And Florida yeah. can get to the SEC championship, but you almost have to judge it based on next year, you know. Yeah. And, and you can you can see it this year, but Florida's going to – I mean, I think Florida's floor this year is seven wins, and I really expect them to get eight or nine. You know, I think that nine is – Anything less than nine is it kind is of a disappointment. And that's and that's that's crazy to go into a season and say anything more than one loss is a disappointment. And but, Florida fans are gonna be disappointed. Ago, Eleven no, but you don't have that. Yeah, that. I mean and I get we have less games. No, right. Um, that's why that's why a, a nine and one is really eleven and one because you took correct, the two cupcakes correct. away. So correct. you know I mean I, here's here's the thing. This we've talked about this at nauseum on this podcast. If Florida is going to make the jump to being an elite team, even with COVID and everything else going on, this is the year for it to happen. This is the year that it's set up to happen. So truly, we do have to nitpick and look at these these things. Yes, they are going to be a favorite in probably every game but one that they play, but they still have to improve from next year if they want this season as a whole to improve. Uh, Florida returns uh, back to that offensive line. They have four or five starters coming back. That's a, that's a good thing, right? Um, our center graduated, but they did add a guy named Stuart Reese, who was a starter for Mullen at Mississippi state, like a longtime starter. I think he started three years. He um, is huge. He's 345 pounds. Um, and he knows Mullen's system and he knows John Hevesy's blocking schemes. And both of those are going to be big for Florida. Um, Ethan White started doing really well at the end of last season. Um, another uh, freshman actually guard. Um, he, the, he's been posting pictures on Instagram and Twitter. He came in at 400 pounds. He's now 335 and ripped. Like if you've never seen a 335 guy with abs, go look up Ethan White. Um, Florida also got um, a Texas transfer, Gene DeLance. So uh, they have options this year at offensive line, which I don't feel like they've had in the past. Um, so, I mean, we're going to see. But those that the offensive line, it, for me, is what I'm watching on offense. I have faith in Trask. I have faith in Mullen. I don't have faith in the offensive line yet. Yeah. 
yeah, again, I think the year when we say this every every week, I mean, it comes down to what happens in Jacksonville, you know? Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, even if the offensive line doesn't improve, um, they should beat every team on their schedule. I think Texas A&M is going to be tricky. No. I think that LSU is always LSU. Um, should be easier this year than last year, certainly. But, I mean, it all kind of comes down to yeah, what to, happens in to what happens in Jacksonville. Well, you know, something I – That's been the case for the last four years, you know? Correct. I mean, something I hadn't thought like about, honestly, until like right this second, too, that's it, like – Positions like offensive and defensive line, it's going to be really important to get multiple guys in that rotation early and develop trust with them. Because in a year when COVID could hit your locker room and knock, you know, a few guys out at any given moment, that that's going to be on par with getting a massive injury bug that goes around. You know, an offensive line, you still have to fill every single hole. It's it's very different if you have one running back that that gets it. You don't have to put five running backs on the field at any given time, but you have to with your offensive line. So I'll be interested to see. I haven't actually noticed or paid attention because the thought hadn't crossed my mind till literally this moment. If other teams have been rotating their lines more than previous seasons, but if I'm a coach, that's kind of something that I'm looking at because that's an area where I know I will be in serious trouble if I have to miss a guy for two weeks. Yeah. Uh, continuity is so, so important on the offensive line as well. Uh, stat came out, man, I, I won't have this. I'm not going to make this terrible and, um, you know, find the, find the actual stat, but a stat came out from David Hale, uh, when Florida state's entire starting five was in against Georgia tech, um, they operated at like a at Blackman was something like. 56 or 60% had like 150 yards, a touchdown. And it was over multiple attempts, right? Like that wasn't obviously 150 yards. It, it wasn't just a player or two. But with any one of the offensive linemen out, which we had four go down during the game, some come back, some don't. He was operating at like a 30-something percent, had less than 50 yards, obviously no touchdowns, a fumble. And so – and that was all spread out through the game. Like it wasn't just like, oh, we started really well and then fell off. It was kind of the whole, um, the whole game is kind of where the stats were pulled from. And I, and I'm not saying no. I am saying if the offensive line wouldn't have gotten hurt, we would have won the game. I mean, just yeah. based on the based on the numbers. I mean, our offense went to complete crap once guys started getting hurt. And obviously, Florida's offense is better than FSU's. It's got more continuity. It's got a better quarterback. It's got a better uh, I, I, you know, Mullen is a better coach. I mean, that's not a slam at Nordell, but a coach, coach that well, game yeah. coach in the country. And, and I think Norvell's up there. I mean, I think Norvell's really good offense too, but he also has been with the program for a few months in a pandemic. So like more continuity and stuff. So like, you know, you'll say better coach from that perspective and everything else. So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't think that it would be that drastic if Florida lost a couple of guys due to injuries, but you've seen all over college and pro football the injuries that guys are getting from reduced training and reduced off seasons and uh, you know, even stuff as far down as like the fields haven't been maintained sure. as well as in the NFL. I mean, so you can talk to me about like, oh, well, this is the SEC and we do things better and well, yeah, the NFL's having NFL. those Right. Yeah. The NFL's having those problems with, yeah. you know, the field's been maintained well for the last couple of months, but it wasn't during the off season because why would you do that? You know? So anyway, like the turf at different places is, um, coming up. And so anyway, it's just, uh, 
again, I don't expect it to be that drastic with Florida. I think Florida is much better, has more depth, um, you know, better overall offense and program right now. But I mean, it is it is worrisome. At the same time, you know, it could happen to your opponent too. It could make things easier. I mean, you're not wishing injuries, but like it could it could certainly go. Either way, um, I know you're going to pick UF, but yeah. we'll save our our spreads until a little later. Um, do you have anything else on that game before we move down south? Um, I mean, the only other things I'm going to be looking at, uh, we need our Florida needs their defensive ends to do a little bit better. I I don't think, um, or not a little bit better. They need to step up. We we lost a lot of guys. Um, I'm interested to pay attention, you know, to see what happens there. And then also to see how Emory Jones is used. I, uh, you know, I think that Trask is the guy. He's going to be the guy this year. I think it will take a lot to displace him. But I also think when you have a talent like Emory Jones on the bench, you figure out a way to get him in the game. Um, so I'm interested to see how Mullen uses him. Is it like Tim Tebow in 2006 to Chris Leak? Um, I don't know, but I definitely think Florida has to get him involved. You, you can't leave an athlete like him on the sidelines. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. I think that he just adds a different dynamic, kind of like what you see in, in New Orleans with Taysom Hill. And like you just mentioned, um, Leak and Tebow and, you know, there's, there's a ton of them. Um, so yeah, I'd love to see Emory get in. I wouldn't be shocked if he got in and saw a lot of snaps late in the game. You know, things kind of, yeah, and that's the thing too, is that, uh, the interesting thing about this year is nobody loses a year of eligibility this year. So this doesn't really, this is not really about Emory Jones specifically, but young guys, this is the time. If you have the ability to get them involved in games late, you do because they don't lose the year. Now it's hard because you're also playing an only conference schedule, which in theory is a little bit harder than what you're normally playing. And normally you get those guys involved in your, you know, your easy out of conference games to start with, get them a little uh, experience before you redshirt them. But this year, they could play a little bit in every single game that you play. So this is one that I could see us playing a lot of young guys early because there are going to be games where that's not going to be an option. Yeah, for sure. No, if, if Florida gets up, you know, by enough and, and to... So there, there's a chance that scores don't get as ridiculous as, you know, sometimes we predict because of that too. Because They would have gotten ridiculous if the first string guys had stayed in, but they, we may see them pulled earlier than most years because, because nobody loses a year of eligibility. Also with there being no BCS anymore, I don't really think it's, it matters to blow people out anymore. Right. Um, it's, I, it's really gotta, it's really gotta, I mean, and if it does, you're fighting for that fourth spot, right? Like, cause it doesn't matter how yeah, many people, I mean, it doesn't matter how many people Florida blows out. If they lose in the sec championship game, you know, they're fighting I mean, for that fourth unless seed. Unless you run to, the table, though, which is incredibly hard to do for anybody, but it's really hard to do in the SEC. Florida's actually, you know, I guess they've they've been undefeated in the regular season, but they've never finished the season undefeated ever. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. I think that style points are still a thing. They may not be as big a thing as they were in the BCS, but I do, I do think they're still a thing. Um, Maybe I think it's pretty. I think it's. I think it's pretty minimal at this point, especially style points against Ole Miss. You know, Um, I don't know that anybody's recency bias matters more on style points. Like if you blow Tennessee and and Kentucky out your last two weeks of the year, I think it matters. Nobody cares. Nobody says like, oh, well, remember they blew out Ole Miss in week one. Uh, Nobody. Nobody remembers that. I mean, unless Ole Miss like runs the table, right? Which I don't think we expect. Uh, But I don't think people care as much there um 
So we go down south. We don't have to spend as much time on this because I frankly don't care. Uh, Florida State travels to Miami this week without their head coach on the sideline. I, I've seen differing reports. I don't know if he's going to be down in Miami and just can't actually yeah, coach on the sideline. Wild, though. When I saw that come across my ticker on Saturday, well, the, uh, we were at we were at a hotel, but the ticker at the pool. It's like holy cow! I can't. This is he's got to be the biggest name person so far that we're going to see miss time because of COVID. Yeah, that's the first coach that I can remember in the NFL. Of any or college. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen any other ones come out. Has FSU yeah, reported I, so, a bunch of players with it too? Like, I find it interesting. I I personally hadn't seen a report of a whole bunch of players missing, but it's interesting that the head coach would have it, but not players. Yeah, I. I no, they haven't announced anything, and I don't know if that's because no other players have it or because they're not. Uh, they're just not re- releasing things. Yeah. So, um, well, and it's a lot easier to, to notice that Mike Norbell is not on the sidelines than you know your third string cards, running yeah. back or whatever. Yeah. I do know that his wife and kid tested negative, and so um, it sounds like Norvell tested negative twice last week and then tested positive, which kind of leads me to believe you know Maybe conspiracy theorists. Positive. Yeah, which if that's the case, I, I don't. I understand I the protocol is probably him after that again. Like, I mean, think about remember when the NFL had a ridiculously high number of positives, and then they retested all of them multiple times, and everybody tested negative. Um, so so you my thought is tests, right? Please I, be negative. I haven't. This is just my assumption here. I haven't gotten confirmation, but my assumption is that either the rule that the ACC has set or that Florida State has set, one way or the other is that once you get a positive, mm-hmm. no matter what, you are out for whatever the number of days is, right? Um, and and so I guess the, the, other, the other fear, um, I guess, is that I think when you test positive, you have to be out for X number of days, right? 10 or 14 or whatever the number is. If he tests again four days later, thinking it was a false positive, that then gets extended, right? 14 more days. So so you don't want to risk it. Right. So you'd rather just take, I mean, it, it's a, it's a six, one half, you know, darn if you do, darn if you don't, do you want to, do you want to risk it and then have to then miss two games? Right. Cause if, if you got tested now and got, a positive, you would not only miss Miami, but you missed the Jacksonville State game. Whereas with this one, because it was caught on a Saturday, he's only going to miss like 14 days will expire on the, the next Friday. He will be able to coach the Jacksonville State game. So it's kind of a yes, of course, you'd rather beat Miami and you'd probably win without him uh, at Jacksonville State. But it's that's also probably why the protocol exists so that you're not just checking, checking, checking and keep it. Can I tell extended. you what the SEC? <laughs> protocols are that they just released three days ago. This is something I really wanted to talk about that I think is really interesting and relevant. Sure. To this. Did you see them? No. Okay. So listen, so th- this will give you a little bit of perspective. The big, the, the big 10 that what they are going to use is if the positivity rate for a team gets over 5%, the entire team cannot no longer practice or compete for seven days. Wait, this is the Big Um, Ten or the SEC? Well, I'm going to tell you what the SEC says. I'm comparing it to what the Big Ten is doing. Um, If a player tests positive, they are out for 21 days in the Big Ten. Um, Like I said, team positive gets over 5%. And when you're talking about a 
you know, your team generally has between 105 and 115 guys, including walk-ons. There's 85 scholarship players. So let's say you've got a team that's like 105. If it can only get above five, it can't get above 5%. We're only talking about five or six guys getting it total for the entire program to be shut down for a week. And um, in the big 10. So the SEC, <laughs> it just means more baby. They will be traveling players. Oh, oh, they were only travel 70 players to games, right? But if COVID hits your team, the game cannot be canceled unless you have under 53 players that are available to play, but you can still choose to play that game. If you have 53 under, but you, you can't cancel it unless you're under 53 you must have, there are position group minimums, but there, so there must be seven offensive linemen, seven defensive linemen, one quarterback, oh, excuse me, four defensive linemen, one quarterback, and seven offensive linemen available of that 53. That's it. It just shows the priority between the, the, the <laughs> of, of what football means to the, you know, the Big Ten and, and the SEC. Like, you know, the joke, sorry, just means more, of course, but like, it does. I mean, it just, you know, the SEC, the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 are totally under the, hey, we are playing these games. The big, right. and they, they scheduled in bye weeks and they moved their season around. They started early so that they could, not early. I mean, it was delayed, but they started earlier in the Big 10 is, and they're going to get these games played. There's been a lot of speculation, or there was some speculation that the Florida State Miami game, if some players came down with it after Notre Bell did too, they would just move that game to October 31st when both teams have a bye. Um, the SEC, the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12, they're going to play. And the Big Ten is going to fall flat on their face, and and it may fail. It may not. I mean, the, I would be shocked if all the teams finished with all eight games played. But, um, yeah, no, I agree. I wonder what the specific – like if Dan Mullen was to get it today, mm-hmm. what's the protocol? How long has he got to be out? How you know, like what? How is that different conference by conference? How is that different? Because to me, again, logically, it just seems like if Norvell tested negative today – and then tested again negative on Thursday. So I mean, I'll guarantee I mean, you just... if, if Dan Mullen tested positive and the next day tested negative, he'd be allowed to coach. I'm trying to Google right now to see what the um, rules God. are. But I find it incredibly hard to believe that that they wouldn't let him coach. I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I have no clue. Somebody said, you know, Norvell should do And I bet it wouldn't part. restart the clock either for them. I bet if the if the clock, which I'm, again, trying to figure out, if the clock is 14 days for the SEC, I guarantee you it's 14 days. You could test positive 57 times within those 14 days, and that clock is not starting over. It's going to be 14 days from the first test. Um yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I'm. I don't know that I'm totally on board with with that. Um, I mean, I'm on board I mean, with it. If you have it today personally. and you take the no, test I'm, tomorrow, it doesn't make you have it anymore. You just still have it, and and the CDC doesn't say that like your 14 days should start after your last positive. They say it should start after your first positive. So why are why would everybody not be following what the CDC says on that? I mean, I don't think the CDC has said that it is impossible for the virus to stay around. No, but they have said that you need to quarantine from 14 days um, from the first moment you showed symptoms or the first time you test positive. Right. But I think that the reason that they do the 14 day where that comes from is, is that's their best general guideline. Well, like, I think it comes from them being as cautious. If you, if it's you, probably less than 14 days that you're going yeah, to. Absolutely. It absolutely is. But if on like Norvell will have to get tested 
again on what day 13 or 14. And if he's still positive there, he's out another 14 days. And so would Mullen. Like they wouldn't just not test him, you know, after the 14 days, they would make sure he had a negative test and bring him back. And if he tested positive on day 13 or 14, like he would absolutely not be able to coach that next game. You know, and I don't know that it would reset the whole clock. Maybe you get a shorter window that second time, but like, there's no way they'd let him go on the field the next day with a positive test. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's interesting all the different, you know, the guidelines and stuff that people have, I, you know, I'd be interesting to see if that's more of a Florida state thing again. Cause to me, if no players got it, no other coaches have it, his wife and kid don't have it. To me, that seems like a false positive. Why wouldn't you just test him again and say like, Hey, yeah. we, he went two out of three. Like, and again, I don't know if it's something with the lawyers and the insurance that say like yeah. you can't and and how that works. I mean, of course he I mean, wants to be there. The NFL, they had all of those positives. The everybody retested, well, everybody tested negative, and all those people immediately went back to practice. It was and well before game. Yeah, it was yeah, well before games. It was during camp, though. So you would think that the players' association would have a massive issue if they thought anybody was at risk. You know, they're they're yeah. going back to camp. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is that they were just around those players yesterday. So I guess it's not really right. a big, you know, yeah. like it's, I, I think it's different when you're going to introduce it to new potential yeah. players, right? Like when you play another team, because <clears throat> obviously everybody that is at, it's in Gainesville or in Tallahassee or wherever has the, I mean, if one has it, they all have it. And that's why I don't think Norvell probably really even has it. So, right. um, you know, who, who knows, but okay. So back to the game. I know we haven't started this yet. So uh, we'll start with Miami and Louisville. Did, did you get a chance? I know you were just lounging by the pool um, at the Ritz with, um, you know, a bunch of cabana boys and stuff like that, bringing, bringing the family beers and, and everything else. But in between your um, leisurely weekend, did you get a chance to watch Miami Louisville? I did. I watched a lot of it. Um, Miami looked a lot better week two than I thought they looked week one. Um Louisville has zero defense. Uh, I, I don't think Miami has a particularly great defense either, but Louisville's was not great. Um, but but still, even still, I thought Derek King looked very good. He is a great quarterback. I think Miami it, it, Miami impressed me, even though I still don't think that they're a great team. They're a pretty darn good team, and they are going to murder Florida State. Yeah, Louisville really, for, for all intents and purposes, I mean, Louisville really should have been a lot more competitive in this game. Correct. They won the time. Of, they won the time of possession, thirty-eight to twenty-one, uh, thirty-eight to twenty-two. They outgained Miami, not by a lot, but by thirty-one yards. Um, their problem was they had three turnovers. They had a lot of drives in the first half that got down into Miami territory and stalled. They went to the half twenty to six, um, and really should have been twenty-one twenty or twenty. Um, 17 or somewhere in that range. Like Louisville had played well enough and just didn't finish drives. The second half, Louisville stayed with them. Um, in fact, Louisville outscored Miami by one in the second half. Um, and and really just looked like they were kind of sleepwalking through the first half. I, I think if Louisville stays with Miami in the first half, we have a really, really entertaining game and uh kind of enjoy it probably a little more than we did yeah miami's defense is really really bad i'd say they're you know you know, louisville's defense is horrible uh, but miami's defense is is pretty bad um you know but obviously their offense is much better than georgia tech's who georgia tech didn't look terrible against ucf i don't know if you caught all of that 
UCF ended up running away with it late, but Georgia Tech was in it uh, mm-hmm. for about a half and looks better than I even really thought they would. Um, but yeah, I don't have any confidence in Florida State to win this game at all. I mean, the the confidence or the like kind of what you'll hang your hat on like to have hope is just that it's a rivalry game and things get weird. Sure. Um, and that Florida State has been able to prepare over the last two weeks to look better than they did against Georgia Tech. We talked about this last week during the show. If I know you can play the ifs and buts games, and that's not necessarily what I'm doing here, but it's it's kind of what I'm going to do here looking forward. If Florida State corrects the couple of minor things that I think they really, really struggled with against Georgia Tech, um, we had three or four drops, one that was a touchdown, um, a couple of turnovers that were really bad. If a couple of those things get adjusted and tick back the right way, I think the game can be competitive. I don't necessarily know that I would pick Florida State in any situation, um, but I think that we can have a chance. We came out, and like I said, when the O-line was healthy, looked really, really good. Um, Tamara and Terry, the probably the best player on off, no, the best player on offense dropped a touchdown. That is something that you would not expect to happen. Uh, again, if Florida State goes into the half 17 to nothing, that, that game probably is a win for Florida State, and then we think about this differently. So I think that if Florida State can correct a couple of things and get a little bit better, they can be competitive. I think Florida State's defense is better than Louisville's defense. I don't, you know, I mean, I don't think we give up 47. I could be wrong on that, but I think we hold them to less than that. And so I just worry that even with our defense being better than Louisville's and even with us, hopefully correcting a couple of things, I still think Miami's just a better team. Their offense did look really, really good. And I I think they kind of come out on top one way or the other. Again, it's a rivalry game. Maybe the coach not being there kind of galvanizes the guys and they play for him. Like and we're waffling here a little bit. I'm picking Miami to win this game. But I, this is like a best case scenario for Florida. Like here's okay. Florida, Florida State. Here's here's how they would win or be a little more competitive. But I mean, I'll tell you, by the time we get to Saturday afternoon, I mean, I'm picking Florida State. But as far as Tuesday goes, this early in the week, like I still got my senses, no alcohol in me yet. Um, so yeah, I mean, as of right now, you know, I, I think we're, we're losing the game. I think there are some best case scenarios where Florida state could keep it competitive in all reality. I think Miami probably wins going away because I, I don't know. I have to see it first. I'm not somebody that's going to say like, Oh, I'm sure we turn it around. I'm sure we get better without seeing it. You know, now if, if we lead by, if we lead at any point close to halftime, yeah, then we have a shot, but Based on what I've seen, I haven't seen enough from Florida State to pick them. Okay. I, I Just making sure you weren't talking to yourself into some idiotic decision here. You, you sound rational. I'm, I'm here for it. Not yet. I mean, like I said, later in the week, I probably will. Um, but, you know, as of right now, I, Florida State has not shown me anything to think that they could win. I could see a scenario where they win. I could see things getting adjusted for them to be more competitive. Well, hopefully they get adjusted to be more competitive. That's what you hope from your coaching staff every week, right? Sure. Yeah. They they have had two games, two weeks to get ready where Miami played a a team that they, at least on paper, we thought was going to be a pretty competitive game. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, outside of the final score, I mean, it was a pretty competitive game. 
you know, um, yardage was very close. Turnovers kind of screwed them. Possession was um, much in the favor of Louisville. And so, yeah, I think the game itself was competitive. I think that, um, you know, Miami was never really in danger of losing because of how bad Louisville was to start. Um, we'll get to picks here in a second. Do you have a score prediction for this game? Mm, no, do you? Tell me what yours is. <laughs> it's so hard to pick. For you. It's so hard to pick scores in rivalry games. Um, I know. And it's at what a ten and a half point spread right now. Yeah, and see the thing is, I don't. I, I hate that. It's going to be like thirty-eight ten or something. I, I think Miami's going to kill Florida State. Yeah, that's the thing. Like it could be that, or like, I mean, I'll say this: outside of last year. Um, which the score was only 17 points. It's been a one score game every year minus the, the Jameis Heisman year, right? Yeah. Which we beat them 41, 14. So no matter how, I mean, even the next year when we went 14 or 13 and zero, and then lost to Oregon, like even that year was a one score game the year before when Miami was really bad, you know, the Willie Taggart's first year where he won five games, we, uh, lost by one point, you know? And so it's just like every year, again, last year was a little weird, but every year in this rivalry, like it's just, it's not like the Florida, Florida state thing where like, there's a lot of blowouts that happen in that rivalry. You know, Florida state Miami has not traditionally been like a blowout type series ever, you know, yeah. but Florida, Florida state has, um, Florida state Clemson has one way or the other, like one team blows, but Florida state Miami is just always close. So that's kind of one thing that I think about, um, you know, so what is it? Which is your prediction there? I'm going to give two. I'm going to say it's either going to, if Florida state figures some things out and adjusts well, I could see a 31 to 21 type game. Right. Um, so right around where the spread is, if Florida state doesn't, I could see a 45 to 15 game or 45, 16 or something in that range, like just an absolute beatdown. So that's kind of my, you know, it could either be somewhat close and competitive or, you know, the beatdowns coming. It's hard to predict again in this game, blowouts just don't happen. And so it's hard to just predict that knowing that like, yeah. You know, it could happen. This would be the year for it to happen, but it just like it just doesn't happen in this game very often. Um, you know, ESPN still we I've talked about this week after week after week. They did flip Miami to be their favorite, but it's only fifty six to forty three, yeah, uh, fifty six point three to forty three percent. And so, I mean, two weeks ago, Florida State was a seventy percent chance to win. Last week, even after Georgia Tech, it was Florida State 53, and now it's dropped again, but still like, I mean, 56-43, I mean, that's a, I mean, really it's 56-44, I mean, that's a coin flip, you know, according to ESPN. I think they're wrong. I think that Miami does win by 10 and a half, 11 points. I think they cover the spread, but, um, you know, I, I think that uh, it wouldn't shock me if Florida State hung around. It would shock me if they won. So do you have a score? Pred- oh, you said 38-10. 38-10, yep. We will see who's closer after this. Let me write these scores down. Yeah, that's what I, I 38, was 38-10. What did I say? 45. You said 45-15, uh, which I would like to know how you got to that number. But and then you I'm said gonna, 16, so. I'm going to say 16. Yeah, okay. I was 
maybe we go for two, like the first drive, just to throw them off guard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what was the other one? What was the close one I had? Oh, 31 21 is what you said. So I'm taking me as being closer just because I have more options. So I like that. There, there you go. Well, that's um, not exactly fair. But. Life is not fair. Um, okay. So some picks that actually have already happened that we can talk about. Um, recapping last week, my Liberty You're Flames. Terrible. I in particular, are, this has been awful. Yeah, you you I went 50-50 last week. You went 25% because we had a game yeah. canceled. So yeah. yeah, you were definitely worse than me. So uh, Liberty was a 14 and a half point dog at Western Kentucky and got the win. Uh, I was, I enjoyed that game. It's been a while since I've been able to enjoy a college football game. I really enjoyed that. Well, where my team was playing, I've, I've enjoyed a lot that my team wasn't. So, uh, Liberty looked really good. They're on the picks again this week. I got that one, right. I also got BC plus four and a half. They beat the hell out of Duke. Um, this week, our Houston Baylor game got canceled. Um, you hit on your UCF Knights, seven and a half, and nobody, we, we both picked Louisville, so we both got that wrong. Uh, for the season, I am six for 14, and you are four for 14. So you've got some around make- this week. We will see. You actually do have a really good chance to turn around this week because I am picking like a homer on four of the five games. So um, we'll start with the one that I'm not picking like a homer on. Auburn minus seven and a half against Kentucky. I've already written all mine down. Oh, I, yeah. I sent you the docket. So I took Auburn. Uh, I'm going to take Auburn as well. But we're going to differ, I think, on the next several. I picked. I already. I already picked you. I already put your in on this. UF 14 and a half. I do want to say I'm going to take Ole Miss here just because it's a lot of points. It's a noon game. It's on the road. Um, I I think I'm going to kind of give myself the out here of I actually think UF covers, but this is like a classic spot for me to think that a team's going to cover a big spread and then not do it. Yeah. And I know that you're going to pick UF, so I just want to pick yeah. the other thing. So like, mm-hmm. but I, if 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 I was really putting money on this, I think I would bet on UF minus fourteen. I would tease UF down to where it wasn't yeah. two touchdowns, but I think UF's going to win this going away. I just could see like like you said, you bring in the backups and then you get a uh, uh, you know Florida's winning by twenty one, and then Ole Miss gets a late touchdown or something. Right. You know, like right. that's the kind of scenario that I could see here. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was very split on this. Like, I I kind of want to pick UF, but just for the sake of the show, I took Ole Miss. Yeah. Um, I assume you have UF. I do. I have UF. Um, Liberty minus seven and a half against FIU. FIU Kings of the three hundred five after beating Miami last week. Uh, that game is in Lynchburg, so Liberty at seven and a half. Uh, I'm going with Liberty. I'm not betting against them ever again. Let's go. Um, USF plus three and a half at Florida Atlantic. FAU, the fighting really taggers. I'm taking Florida Atlantic. USF looked pathetic last week. Yeah, I will never um, bet on Willie Taggart again in my life. So I don't care if they were playing, you know, Elena and Bryant and – Hayden and Hadley and Alexander and Emerson. Like I would pick the the kids. So uh, USF me there. Um, and I know I just said everything against this, but I'm taking FSU against the, against the spread. And I'm taking Miami. Um, yeah. I, I, you cannot be a good fan by not at least taking your team. So there you go. Uh, 
I will take Florida State against the spread every week except for Notre Dame and Clemson. In those weeks, I just won't include it. Um, we talked a little bit about the Big Ten, the eight-game schedule, no bye weeks or anything like that. The only thing I want to ask about the Big Ten um, is what does the playoff picture look like with them? If they Let's assume everything goes off as scheduled, right, which I don't think it does. But let's say Ohio State – let's just say it like it is. Ohio State wins all eight games um, and goes 8-0, plays all eight games, go 8-0. and um, They're in. I mean, there's no uh... – Ohio State, if all eight games happen, they run the table, they win the conference championship, there's zero debate there. They are one of the four teams. They are in. So the situation is this. Um, Alabama, Florida go undefeated. One loses to the other. You know, Alabama wins by three in the SEC championship. Uh, Ohio State goes undefeated. Oklahoma goes undefeated. And Clemson goes undefeated. Who gets left out? Florida in that scenario? Um Potentially, I think this is a scenario where style points matter. So then we look back and we see what what uh, transpired in each game. But more than likely, an SEC team gets left out. Um, it it honestly depends on what the games looked like. I, I personally don't think the Big Ten plays all their games. I actually so Ohio State Ohio State goes seven and zero. So that's and, where it gets tricky because honestly, are are we okay with putting a six and zero or seven and zero team in against a team that that let's say went ten and zero or nine and one and won their conference championship? I have some questions there. At that point, I don't know I if they play every game on their schedule. There's nothing else left for them to control. They're a power five conference. They're in. I think. Um, but, and did you really care that they didn't play the three crappy teams they were going to play to make it a full skit? You know, like no, the three, uh, you know, like, like Miami of Ohio and yeah, no, I don't think that that makes a difference for me personally. But like, uh, listen, I don't think the Big Ten wants the season to happen. Still, I think that is evident based on how they set up their schedule versus how every other conference set theirs up. They could have started earlier. These teams have been practicing. They chose to try and play eight games in eight weeks with a conference championship happening the ninth week without an opportunity to make up any of these games. They then also put arbitrary rules in place like if you test positive, you aren't available for 21 days. 21 is not a number that has been thrown around by any medical organization at all. Period. That's not anything we've heard from anyone but the, the the Big Ten. It's arbitrary. Why make something arbitrary to make it more difficult for your team to get on the field? They also won't let a team play or practice for seven days if their team positivity gets at or above 5%. You're literally talking about five people. It could be you know, it uh, literally, because it'd be five and a half people, I think, to get to 5%. So maybe we're talking about six people, whatever. When you're talking about a group of a uh, 105 guys, that's not very much. Um, so I think we're going to see that happen. But if you have to sit out for seven days, let's say that that happens on a Friday, right? So seven, I thought it was 21. They they have to their program gets shut down as a whole. Oh, okay. so those, those guys would still be out for 21 days, but your entire program must shut down for seven days. So let's say that happens on a Friday. Your game on Saturday is canceled. In theory, you could play the next Saturday, but you haven't been able to practice. So do you really play that game? Well, that you costs have a you two Friday. games. You know, yeah, you have a walk. You, 
You can't even be, you could meet on Zoom. That's literally all that they would be allowed to do. They're not allowed to go to their facility for seven days. Yeah, they essentially just have to be doing, they essentially just have to be doing like on your own workouts, like go on outside. And and I personally think that that's incredibly dangerous to think that you're going to not practice for an entire week, learn about this team through Zoom and that's it. And then attempt to go on a field against them. The, The short answer is they won't which means yeah, that this will cost them at least two games. It's never been about player safety with uh, with the Big Ten or anything else. So I think it's just all But I, yeah, I think optics. this is for show. I think this conference is for yeah. show. This this plan is for show. They want to be able to see, say, guys, we tried. It just didn't work. They don't want it to – they're not like the ACC, the SEC, the Big 12. They're not hoping that this actually all goes as planned and – factored in by weeks and padding so that you can still get the number of practices in, even with inevitable positives, you can still try and get all your games in, even with inevitable positives. They're, they're not doing that at all. Even with the, they have the opportunity to do that, but they chose not to. And I, I think they chose not to because they don't actually want to play. They just want to placate everybody who's losing their mind because there are three conferences playing. Yeah, so it'll be really interesting to see the debate around it because you also have to factor in, you know, I don't know. Is I mean, how yes, I'm going to take the. I'm going to take the. The Big Ten starts falling apart, right? And the the ACC, the SEC, and the Big Twelve make it all the way through to their conference championships without any massive outbreaks. Maybe they get over five percent at some point here and there but it doesn't cancel games we move on and nothing bad happens what does that right. look like for the big 10 i mean it looks like incompetence like the big 10 right. look it like for the entire worse. situation the entire thing it's very difficult for them to look worse than they have but that might do it yeah they need to hope that the outbreaks stay down right hope that they bubble up and and, and keep it low. I, I don't know how well they're going to do that. I mean, I hope they do. I, I'm not cheering for outbreaks or anything like that. Oh. Certainly not going to cheer for kids to get um, – I'm looking at a picture of Urban Meyer and Tim Tebow on a podcast today, and they are not social distanced um, on this thing that Urban just tweeted. So anyway, uh, yeah, like I – I mean, we'll see. We'll – I hope it does work out for him. But yeah, I think it becomes very interesting – Again, well, what's going to happen is, you know, Clemson will go undefeated, I believe, but all the other teams aren't going undefeated, right? Like, I think you're going to have, you know, losses in there. And I don't want to go through every single scenario that could happen, but say you've got a uh, seven and one Ohio State and an undefeated UCF and a um, uh, nine and one Florida and a, well, I guess it'd be 10 and one at that point or 10 and one Florida or a nine and two Florida. And then you've got a, uh, 10 and one Alabama and you've got a Oklahoma that's got one loss. Like that's where it's going to get weird is okay. All of these teams have one loss or two losses. Maybe the sec has two losses, but um, they played a harder schedule. Or maybe Clemson has and one loss in the rate. Maybe, maybe Clemson has one loss in the regular season, but they still went 10 and one and beat Notre Dame in the, in the, you know, like they lose to Notre Dame in the regular season. And then they beat Notre Dame in the, ACC championship, like what do you do with them, right? Like, because for years it's been if Clemson loses one, they're out. But if they play Notre Dame and lose and then beat Notre Dame, they're in. I mean, as the ACC champion. So, like, what do you do with the one loss Clemson, the undefeated UCF, the one loss, but only seven in Ohio State? 
This is going to be the craziest year. I am not a fan of playoff expansion. This might have been the cool year to do it, to, to yeah. do eight. The problem is if you do eight this year, they never go back. So I'm glad they didn't. But if we could have gotten it written that this was going to happen and then go back to four the next year, I would have been okay with eight this year. Yeah. Um, so also in a year where I I think Ohio State – I mean, Ohio State's probably not losing the game. But where Ohio State and Clemson are clearly the top two teams, it would have been interesting to see because I think – that they are clearly the best two teams in the country. And then you've got a bunch of other teams that could kind of fall into that next category. I, I put Bama three, but then I think the rest of it's just kind of wide open. You know, four could be anyone from, you know, four could be anybody from Oklahoma to Florida to Notre Dame to Auburn to, um, you know, UCF. There's, there's. Yeah, who knows? Like, yeah. uh, could be a, a bunch of teams. So, oh, Michigan, different. You know, I mean, I obviously don't think Michigan's great, but you know, who knows? You're starting a season again, so I think there's a lot of. This would have been a cool year for eight, but we'll find out. I'm just glad that we have it back. I'm glad that we're able to talk about it. Um, this is, you know, best time of the year, and and I'm excited for it. So, other than that, I don't have anything. I'm, I can get out of here if you can. So, yeah, I'm excited I'm for good. this weekend. I'm excited for this week, we got some real games that are. Uh that are starting. I wouldn't say any that, you know, are going to be huge national implication later on down the line, but SEC football feels like pretty close to a full slate of games and I'm excited. I'm here for it. Yeah. Lightning won their first Stanley cup game last night. The Lakers are two games away from the finals. The Rays with one more win win the AL East. So football sucks for me right now, but uh, everything else is, is about as good as it could be. So, um, I mean, by the time we talk next week, I mean, we may have a Stanley Cup champion, whether that's us or Dallas. We'll see. The games are, are have been pretty good. So, um, yeah, like stuff is happening quickly. And so not only is the – I mean, I know that we love the college football, but if the Lightning keep winning, like that that may uh, – for a week, I'm going to love hockey more than I love college football. <laughs> Just for like one week. And then next week I'll be I'll be back to football. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of all this other stuff going on too. So, um it's well, a cool. nice well, we have been doing, that's for sure. Yeah. The last three months have sucked. So, or six months, golly. So, all right, cool. Well, I will see you on Saturday and we'll document the chaos that happens at your house while I we're out watching these games. So, all right, have a good one.